Hi, I'm Paul Comfort, and on this edition of Transit Unplugged, we speak with Mark Joseph, the Global Chief Development Officer and former CEO of Transdev, the largest contract transportation company in North America and one of the largest in the world. We talk about big data's role in transit, the role of autonomous shuttles in transit, and Transdev's vision of personalized, autonomous, connected, and electric transit for our nation and the world. All that on this edition of Transit Unplugged. What does it mean to be a successful public transit agency? What are you doing to lead the way? It's time to learn from the top transit professionals in North America. This is Transit Unplugged with your host, Paul Comfort. Hi, I'm Paul Comfort, and today we have with us as our guest on Transit Unplugged, Mark Joseph a good friend of mine and currently the Global Chief Development Officer for Transdev, former CEO of Transdev. He's a long background in history. Mark, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate it. So, uh, Mark, tell us a little bit. I always like to start the show with uh, having folks tell us about their background. You've got a background that goes way back in transit. You and I used to work together. You recruited me many years ago when I was just a kid. And uh, tell me about your background in history. Paul, that was one of my better decisions uh, uh, to recruit you. Um, I started out in what was a ta- originally a taxi company. The company was founded in 1909, so this company is uh, well more than 100 years old. Uh, we um, saw through uh, in this great history of this company that started as Yellow Cab of Baltimore and then later Yellow Transportation. We survived uh, the Great Depression, two world wars. Uh, the big recession and a number of other challenges and uh, the most recent uh, has been uh, surviving Uber. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, in 2001 uh, we sold this business which was the largest uh, multimodal operator in the Baltimore Washington region. We sold it to what was then Vivendi, it became Veolia and then merged with Transdev Uh, And we were the platform for the development in the U.S. Uh, We grew it up uh, from basically in 2002, 50 million in revenue to uh, by 2008, a billion and by 2012, a billion and a half. So we had some pretty phenomenal growth and uh, operate three primary uh, businesses. Uh, We operate a large transit business that operates big transit contracts throughout the country, uh, throughout North America, and then we operate a a rail business uh, running both uh, some uh, heavier rail and streetcar, lots of streetcar systems throughout the country, Uh, and then we have an on-demand and business-to-business business, business, uh, both business-to-business and Mm business-to-consumer, running a lot of those tech buses in the Bay Area, uh, and we run Super Shuttle and 40 airports and so we have a big uh, consumer business. And your background was, you, you've been CEO of, you were, so let's see, I, I think I started working for you in 94, 95, no, no, it was later, it was like 97, 98, because I'd worked for Mayflower Laidlaw a little bit and you recruited me on that. I always tell the story. Mark uh, was trying to recruit me for six months to come help take Yellow National. And so he finally said to me, Paul, write down, do you remember this? He said, write down, what you'd want in a dream job and finally i said well okay i'll write it down so i wrote down like 10 things you know i want you know vice president title blah blah and he said i'll give it all to you 
<laughs> I said, well, if you're not going to take it when somebody offers it to you, you got to be crazy. And it was a great experience helping to, uh, to work with you during that time. So you had this taxi company. You've kind of always been in charge. And then when you sold to the French, how did you end up being in charge of it all? I mean, normally they would bring their own guy over, I guess. But you right. ended up, they must have yeah. respected you enough to put you in charge. You know, Paul, I, uh, I lectured at uh, Wharton Business School. I never went to business school, but I lectured at Wharton and, and uh, at Harvard and some other business schools. Um, and uh, what I learned was that uh, in growing this business and developing this business, that first I f that we were an unlikely platform because we were very diversified in one major market. Mm -hmm rather than having a single focus in many markets so that uh, we didn't have the geographic coverage, but we had the team that uh, could expand and could grow the business. And in the first three years, we had doubled our own uh, business uh, through what was yellow. Uh, and the key was uh, both uh, having great relationships with our customers, long-term relationships with our customers, good relationships with the city uh, and the, the community, and having great people. And uh, we were able to find talent like you and others, uh, some who came from the public sector, a number who came from the private sector, and that, uh, and that could help us to achieve that kind of uh, phenomenal growth. I've always been impressed about your loyalty to your people. I mean, this 25 years later, you've still got people like, you know, Terry Oates and, you know, Dwight Kynes and these other guys who have worked with you the whole time. They've remained loyal to you. You've been loyal to them. And I think, uh, building your business on the back of relationships is is big and probably the reason for trans to have success. I mean, aren't you the biggest in North America? Yes, we are. Yeah. And, and Paul, you know, and I think one of the key messages is we think of sustainability uh, today as uh, both environmental but also uh, longevity. Less than 1% of all companies survive uh, 50 years. Mm. Uh, and to have survived 100 years is a remarkable thing. And that means having deep roots in the community. Uh, so we were able then to diversify our business by having that kind of uh, relationships in, in the community. And by diversifying the business, it gave us staying power. If we lost a contract, if we lost a bid, we still had other businesses. We still could be a player in the community. We could still help solve problems for the community. And that becomes increasingly important because the problems of cities are very similar. Uh, you know, we see a a, a large, thankfully, uh, migration back into cities. We see the growth in cities, but we see congestion, we see pollution, we see uh, other issues around navigating uh, your way around the city. And so, uh, and as far as the people go, um, the, the biggest challenge has been as you grow to identify where they can grow and, and be developed and not to extend them beyond their, their if, if they if they're struggling to find a place where they can uh, be in their wheelhouse mm -hmm. and be productive, but also find the talent that can take the business to the next level. That's good. So uh, TransDev North America is part of a larger international company, right? Mm -hmm. Tell us a little about that. I mean, you, you talk about the innovations you're bringing to cities. A lot of that's coming from what you're doing around the world. Tell us about your larger parent company. Right. So we are the most multimodal and most international. We're running large trains, large rail operations like in Germany, where we're, we're number two to Deutsche Bahn, the state-owned state railroad. Okay. Um, we are running some metro uh, systems. We run metro in Mumbai that uh, is a small line but carries 300,000 people a day. 
We run uh, part of the metro in Seoul, Korea, uh, line number nine. So we have a lot of experience on, on uh, rail systems. We run the, uh, the oldest streetcar system in China, which is in Hong Kong, which is over 100 years old, the double-decker mm. uh, streetcar. Oh, yeah. And we run the oldest in America, which is the one in New Orleans. Uh, and we are uniquely positioned because we are the only one to be a public transit authority in New Orleans, Nassau County. So we understand what it's like to be in the shoes of a transit agency and to be faced with uh, the impending disruption and change that they're going to see. We saw it in our taxi and shuttle businesses, but now it's moving towards uh, transit. And so there's a lot of uh, change there. So we're in 19 countries uh, around the world, the most international and the most multimodal. 83,000 employees? Yes. And how much money a year? About, about $8 billion uh, dollars, okay. uh, in revenue. Now here in the U.S., um, uh, where TransDev is, you're the largest, right, by by revenue of yes. the contract providers. Yeah. Tell in, us about in, that market. In the, in the transit, the combined transit rail, we're the largest. We're not in the school bus business, so if you look at school bus, uh, there are others who are larger. Uh, the market is about 25% private, 75% uh, publicly operated. So, okay. so our strategy has always been to compete for share shift of what is already private uh, with our main competitors and to uh, be the high value, the, the best value provider, mm -hmm. uh, the most safe, best maintenance, best reputation for delivering what, what we say we're going to, we do what we say we're going to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and at the same time, to look to see if some of these agencies will consider partnering and converting from public to private operation. And we see some interest in that increasingly, especially uh, when you see what the, what change is coming uh, with operators uh, who will move into the space because it was easy to disrupt the taxi industry, but next uh, will be disruption, I think, of, uh, of transit. Yeah, I just read an article about a company which I know you know about called Bridge and how they didn't really make it in Boston, but mm -hmm. now they've gone to Australia mm -hmm. and they're using big data and people, just what you were talking about at the conference today, their own people's phone to figure out, do algorithms and they're competing against right. public transit. So let's talk about that. And maybe we could use as a, a, a way to talk through it, uh, TransDev's vision, the pace thing. Why don't you tell us right. about that and then what you see coming in the future in each of those areas. Okay. So first of all, uh, PACE is uh, personalized, autonomous, connected, and electric. And the you know people talk about what's the killer app. Uh, the killer app in transportation is shared autonomous electric vehicles. Electric vehicles have been uh, getting uh, some gains in terms of market share in the U.S., but it's still a very, very small uh, penetration of the automobile industry in electric, even if the major auto manufacturers have committed to a much more significant number of those vehicles uh, being electric. Because uh, even with the subsidies, the return on investment uh, takes a long time versus where fuel costs are today. Mm -hmm. However, when you marry up uh, autonomous vehicles that are shared in a, in a, in a commercial system, and you look at the trip volume, because the typical car owner only uses their car 5% uh, of the day, maximum 10% of the day, even in the peak. Mm. The peak usage of personal cars is about 12%, but the total usage is somewhere around 5%.
which means to get a return on an electric vehicle takes a long time. If you look at a commercial vehicle taking a personalized autonomous connected electric vehicle and putting that into a shared environment, uh, that return can be as short as one year uh, wow. on an electric vehicle, the return on investment. That's the first point. Okay. Second is, if you look at personalized, we are getting big data. What you just spoke about is that we can learn a lot about what people's preferences are for where they go, where they come from, where they go. Google knows where you work, uh, yeah. even if you haven't told them. Right. Facebook knows where you work because you have told them. Uh, in the case of Google, <laughs> they know it because they know when you're, when you're uh, traveling, they know there's a pattern where you leave your home every day at a certain time and you arrive at a certain destination every day, five days a week, and they assume and they can figure out that that's your work and then and you have the reverse of that at the end of the day and they know those two uh, location points are home and office. Uh, the point is that once you have this data on consumers and you know what their preferences are, you can tailor services to them. Just as Amazon tells you, well, you've just read a mystery book, would you like to read this one? Uh, what will happen in terms of big data is to say, you travel this pattern, today that route is congested, would you like an alternative solution for that, and here's how to get there. Uh, so personalized aspect. The autonomous is just what we've been talking about. There'll, there'll be autonomous vehicles that will be, I think that the big question people ask is when? Right. When are they going to happen? Right. Well, technologically, they're, they're ready to go this year. So you okay. can start to see autonomous vehicles that are, that are largely ready to be level five autonomous, full autonomy uh, this year. I rode your vehicle uh, two weeks ago in Atlanta. And it was like phenomenal. It? I put yeah. up a video, and yeah, it's uh, it was a great experience, safe. Uh, now, it didn't go very fast. Right. So tell us about that. How it's, You were talking out there, first closed campuses, and I know you and I were talking right. at right. one point about trying to do one here in Maryland that right. we never got to do. But, right. So tell us about that. Well, it, it's easy. The, the biggest challenge for uh, autonomous vehicles are two things. One is the hardware, the LIDAR and other sensor systems and how those sensor systems uh, avoid accidents. Uh, and, uh, and the second is the software. Mm. Uh, it is the ultimate case of artificial intelligence of machine learning because uh, vehicles, uh, drivers, uh, have to solve problems uh, instantaneously uh, that when you put it through a computer, uh, could be challenging. For instance, uh, one of the key uh, challenges for autonomous vehicles is a four-way stop sign. Uh, at a four-way stop sign, you see another car, you approach, you know who's, who was first, who was second. You can communicate with the other driver by looking at the other driver and, and motioning, and you proceed. The autonomous vehicle has to solve that problem. That's an example where the machine learning and uh, and the folks at, uh, at Waymo, who, which is owned by Google, have solved that problem uh, through showing intention. Uh, and their goal, actually, each one of these companies that's building autonomous vehicles, whether it's Ford, whether it's GM or, or others, uh, Tesla, each one has a little bit different approach. But uh, Waymo, Google's approach is to build the perfect driver. Mm. So technology is getting there, the hardware and the software, to have vehicles that can uh, navigate uh, uh, safely. In terms of adoption, the first place to see rapid adoption is closed campuses or city uh, corridors where these vehicles can operate on their own 
and not interact with driver vehicles. And that's what's happening right now. And that's basically. what's happening already. Yeah. So we're seeing a nuclear campus in France where we operate. We see a private road network in the Netherlands where we operate. And we see some campuses in the U.S. and some cities they're saying we're going to devote mm -hmm. a, a particular area downtown, a core area that will have an autonomous uh, service. We see use cases <clears throat> like convention centers or others mm -hmm. for shuttles, uh, but to have full uh, on the road, uh, open road autonomy is the next uh, thing. And I, and I believe we're only uh, a year or two away from that. Uh, part of it is the safety regulations. Part of it is the early experience and the and the co and the confidence uh, with this. And a part of it is weather, because mm -hmm. the the places that you'll see this kind of rapid adoption are places like Phoenix or other warm weather places, because they still depend on road lane markings uh, and places where they get snow uh, will have uh, have to take a longer time for that. Yeah. So. Um, uh, so that's personalized, autonomous, right. and then connected. So, a lot of that, it's going to lead to connected, right? Right. So the, 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 mm. the interesting thing, if you're willing to give up your car, thinking about giving up your car, and by the way, uh, I think there's going to be a world where you might own an autonomous vehicle just like you might own a condo, mm. and you might put your condo in timeshare and let other people use it, and you might put your autonomous vehicle into a, a shared network of, uh, of autonomous vehicles. But the connectivity is, is, is first of all, uh, the connectivity is vehicle to vehicle. Mm -hmm. So there's, a, so there's the, the idea that a vehicle will be able to communicate that it's making a right turn from the left lane, and the other vehicles will know this, and, that and this way you can maximize road networks in terms of reducing congestion. You know how when you're driving on the highway and one car slows down and then for the next 10 miles, right. everybody slows Happened down. To you today. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, in the case of the, when these vehicles can talk to each other, they're going to travel at speed and they're going to know and you're going to be able to reduce these kind of, of problems that will, inc will increase throughput, which will be a, a significant advantage. The, so you have vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle connectivity. You also have vehicle-to-person connectivity. The connectivity to connect to book the vehicle, to serve the vehicle. Mm -hmm. And TransDev's role in all of this is we're an operator. So we're interested in the control center. We're interested in, in the dispatch of the vehicle. We're interested in the human interface between getting on and off the vehicle and making sure it's a safe and great experience. So that's the, uh, another example of the connectivity. So um, you've got personalized, autonomous, connected, and then electric. All of them pulled together, that's the future you see? That's the pace of change, and, yeah. that's, and that's what we're trying to do. Uh, and we're doing it uh, both in terms of our own innovation and, and piloting and working with partners who are leaders in the space, whether it's uh, the auto manufacturers, the auto suppliers, and uh, partners like transit agencies to say, how can we move, how can we be agile? How can we move quickly? How can we do a pilot? How can we try a uh, MVP, a minimal viable product, and, and uh, test things that will give uh, the agencies a role in the future uh, and, a, and, a, and a, uh, not be disrupted by others who will uh, innovate? The big, a big change in this is going to be that, uh, as you know, from running a, a large transit system, is that half your cost is, is uh, labor, and so it's going to change uh, the, the way we look at, uh, and we have to work with our drivers, because 
we believe totally that even in an autonomous world, we value human capital. And so we just think that the labor will be redirected into other areas that uh, where there will be special needs and other areas of uh, where we can improve service. I think a good example of that, some people are concerned, unions might be concerned that they're going to lose their job, but all over America and the world, there are autonomous trains right. that don't need people. Right. And so the conductors of those trains have now become kind of ambassadors on the platforms right. in many places, and they're giving much better customer service right. uh, to the people who are trying to ride because now there's you know, you have enough money to pay people to actually interact with other people instead of stay locked away in the front of the train. Right. So for sure, this is a challenge, and, uh, and we've heard a lot of statistics with regard to how many driving positions there are in, in America. We see drones doing that are, could potentially be doing deliveries. Mm -hmm. We see uh, these uh, autonomous vehicles uh, operating. So we have to think about how we're going to retrain and, and repurpose uh, the driver. Uh, but, but we do think there are important roles for those drivers. We have an aging population mm -hmm. in the U.S. We have uh, health care that has become more outpatient oriented. Uh, and we can see retraining drivers uh, for special needs uh, and for other things that uh, where an autonomous vehicle just is not going to be able to solve the problem. So, uh it's interesting all the innovations we're talking about. I think that transportation, other than the medical field, will probably have the most innovation out of any industry over the next 10 years. It's an exciting time to be here. And, and your job is really to lead innovation for the largest transportation company in the world. It's pretty awesome. Well, so what do you do? I mean, what's your job? What do you do every day? Do you, you're traveling around the world looking at cool things like Bogota, Colombia, where they're doing a BRT that serves 2 million people a day with 30 second headways like you were talking. I mean, what are you doing? You know, Paul, first of all, my job is development and, and uh, to as chief development officer to look at opportunities to grow our business. Mm -hmm. And I agree with you that in the more than 30 years I've been in the business, there's never been a more exciting time to be in the transportation business. When I started in the business, there was a TV show called Taxi that was on. Yeah. And uh, people used to look at the taxi business or the transportation business as uh, not being very glamorous or sexy today, people are leaving the best business schools and engineering schools and looking to get in transportation because we're on the forefront of this change that you're talking about. So our job is to find where, where the white space is, where the pain points are, where the problems are that still need to be solved. Where are those emerging opportunities? Uh, we see that there that there uh, that there are still great inefficiencies in the service. You were an a innovator at MTA in terms of thinking about how you could improve and redesign the service, uh, and we're thinking about how we can help agencies. I, I think the typical transit agency has probably 20% of the routes that are inefficient, uh, and there are better ways to provide service. So we're looking around the world, whether it's in Bogota, and looking at what a true a bus rapid transit can do in changing the city. That, more than anything, changed the city. In Talk Bogota. about that a little bit. That's a very interesting story. You know, for a, a city with uh, 8 billion people. 8 million? Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, 8, mi yeah. 8 million people. A city with 8 million people uh, that had uh, serious uh, challenges, both financially uh, and uh, so economically, financially, and from a, a geographic congestion and 
other uh, other challenges, and they didn't have the ability to build a metro system. Mm. They did have the political will uh, to dedicate a, a, a huge corridor across the city to uh, put dedicated lanes to build a rubber-tired, what in essence is a rubber-tired metro system, mm -hmm. and to have enough capacity on that system with buses that literally are, are we call it headways, you know it well, when one the time between uh, the first bus and the second bus uh, at the same uh, location or, or point. Uh, and these headways are as little as 30 seconds. So these vehicles are essentially uh, traveling in convoys and literally moving the city of Bogota. With 8 million population, we're transporting with our uh, co-operators uh, 2 million of the people, so 25% of the population a day mm. ride the Transmillennio and the ride times are uh, a third of what they would be uh, if they were trying to fight traffic in their personal car. Hmm, that's something. So what else are you seeing coming? I mean, I was talking uh, with my CEO of my new company, um, uh, Mark Miller is his name, about Bitcoin and its role coming in transit, you know, and, and yesterday I was at a, a meeting in D.C. talking about you know, uh, blockchain technology and how that might, what, what else do you see coming in the future from your role kind of at the top of the mountain, looking forward into what's coming to the rest of the industry? Well, for sure, this idea uh, of big data and whether it's, uh, you know, blockchain, how you manage this data and how you protect the data, how you make sure it's safe and secure and, and what type of currencies you use for payment uh, are all areas that I think are, are emerging and can change so you can make it seamless, so you mm -hmm. can make transportation seamless. Why do you need one fare card for, for the bus? Why do you need to pay on a bike, a bike share with a different card? Uh, why Uber pay with a credit card? Uh, everyone differently. And, but there, the, the, the change I think is that there's still a lot of silos. Mm -hmm. uh, the data is in silos. Uber owns their own data, Lyft owns their own data, the Transit Administration might have some of their data that they own, some of it's open. Uh, so the data is in silos, uh, and that could change for the betterment of society by having uh, the ability to at least access in some kind of a, a mass uh, approach, which is mobility as a service, uh, which would improve the predictability, the reliability, and the, and the uh, ease of, of transportation for the individual. But that means people playing in the same sandbox together. And whether government chooses to force that or whether this could happen organically is, is uncertain. But uh, there are opportunities to help folks to have a true transportation op op uh, option, which is a bundled service like you now have your cable uh, that has your phone, it has your mm. internet, it has your uh, entertainment, all bundled, all subscription. And I can see the day when your transportation in the city is bundled in a subscription uh, where it's $200 a month and all your services are covered and you don't have to worry. You can navigate, you can worry about navigation, you can worry about options, but you know how to budget it, you know how to manage it. Employers know how to do it. Building owners know how to do it and individuals know how to do it. Wow, that's phenomenal. I've never heard anybody say that before. So you could have a subscription where you could go and get your zip car if you needed it, right. ride transit, do the bike, right. ride the subway. Right, and and so, you know, Amazon had a breakthrough with Prime 
which was what was the pain point that caused people not to shop on a daily basis. They would buy occasionally, but the friction was the shipping. Right. And once they decided that they could take that friction out and, and, and take away the objection to buying small items, uh, and you had a uh, effect, a subscription uh, for the shipping, uh, then you started to open up the doors, the floodgates to buying uh, yeah. your shaving cream or right. whatever, small items there. I think once the, the model changes in terms of how it's bundled, how the offering is, uh, is created, uh, and how it's priced, uh, people will use more of this kind of public transportation because they'll have access and they'll have predictability on the spend. Uh, our mutual friend, Nat Ford, who's mm -hmm. the new chairman of APTA, uh, is big on talking about us changing the terminology from transit to mobility. Mm -hmm. It's really what you're talking about, isn't it? That we're not just in the transit business, we're now in the business of mobility. Yes, yeah, and I think that uh, our goal, and we're, we're solving this question of why, uh, you know, why are we in business, what are we trying to do, and really what we're trying to do at TransDev is empower people to to have the freedom to move, that, uh, that, that, that people should have choices, uh, whether they're people with disabilities, whether they're uh, people who have a lower income, uh, whether they're children, students, or whether they're uh, aging uh, population, people should have choices. And this mobility that you and Nat and others are, are speaking about is uh, helping to to make that second nature, uh, to to uh, give them the tools uh, to make that mobility uh, second nature, and at the same time improve uh, the quality of life in cities by making the movement, by uh, reducing traffic, by reducing pollution, uh, and improving the environment. Uh, we can do that. That's been Mark Joseph, uh, Global Chief Development Officer of TransDev, the largest. Uh, transit contract provider in North America. And uh, Mark, it's been a pleasure to have you with us. It's, uh, it's great to have a fellow Marylander helping lead the world uh, in what's happening in the transit industry. So uh, thank you so much for being with us today. Paul, I feel the same about you. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you. Thanks for being with us today on Transit Unplugged, where we uh, look to the future of what's coming in our transit world. I'm Paul Comfort. Talk to you next time on Transit Unplugged. You've been listening to Transit Unplugged, powered by Trapeze Group. To stay up to date, subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, or join the conversation at transitunplugged.com. Thanks for listening.